Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. We just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Kelsey Bodie, uh, a educator and entrepreneur who is new in her journey. And we're going to have her on to talk about sort of how she has found her way, uh, what is going on in, in her steps, her path. Uh, what is she doing to get in and take herself to the next level uh, and become uh, the business that we all hope, that I all hope for all educators that get into the space where that you don't own a second job, but you actually do create a full uh, business that can run and operate and be profitable without you. Uh, so for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Kelsey? Yes. Well, good morning. Good afternoon. I'm just very excited to be here with Dr. Will. My name is Kelsey Bodie. I have been in education for 10 years. I served as a classroom teacher for seven years and now currently serve as an instructional coach trying to transition into consulting and really just helping teachers, administrators, school districts really reach their full potential. So I'm always curious as of how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up and what attracted you to K through 12 education? Mm -hmm. It, you might not believe it, but I knew ever since kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Hutchins, I knew I wanted to be just like her. She, she made teaching look so effortless. She poured so much love into her classroom and to me. Um, and after kindergarten, I just knew I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to work with students. I wanted to help them be successful. And of course, can a teaching look very different, you know, back then, uh, we, we had an idea of what teaching was. Um, of course, it looks very different now, but I always knew and I never wavered from, from that goal, from that dream. I never uh, changed my major in college. I always knew I really wanted to be a teacher or a, and, a, and an educator. So tell us about your experiences as an educator. What have you been doing in the space? Yes, so I currently serve in St. Louis, Missouri, um, really close to Ferguson, Florissant. Um, an urban school setting, high poverty, high needs area. And I'm not just supporting students academically, not helping teachers just support students academically, but really educating the whole child. Uh, that's something that we've seen as we've returned from, you know, the pandemic and being virtual for a year. Um, we're trying to play catch up. So now more than ever, I am trying to equip teachers on those tools of what social skills need to be taught? How can we really make sure that students are, um, you know, bouncing back from that, that year off of school? Um, as an instructional coach, I'm currently serving to assist K through five educators. So really differentiating just as teachers differentiate their instruction, I'm differentiating my coaching and support to really meet the needs of all teachers. Mm. Let me get back to that when we talk about consulting, because that's working with adults is uh, different 
when <laughs> you have been given your own instructions from either at a school administrator or a district administrator who, you know, saying, okay, this is our needs, go out there and get it done. And then we have to work with the teachers to do it. It can be a tug of war uh, sometimes uh, in getting them to kind of do it, especially when there's pushback. And, you know, I've even told teachers in my own district, look, I got a job to do just like you do. Uh, so <laughs> like this isn't just me coming to see you to say, hey, I got something extra for you to do, which I think what I'm trying to do is take something off their plates, but sometimes it is not seen the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've been in the classroom teaching, you transitioned out. What made you decide, oh, by the way, I do want to start consulting. I want to take this leap of faith to make a greater impact, to actually create something uh, to do that with. And what individual or organization did you turn to to actually learn how to build, build a business? Mm -hmm. um, interesting enough, I turned to my husband. Um, he's not even in education, but he did start his own business. And I you know, really thought, wow, even though you're not in education, uh, really learning that business aspect and that, um, you know, what it takes with your LLC and ISBN number, you know, really developing a, a strong business really, you know, um, equipped me with those, with those foundational business skills to be successful. Now, on the other side, um, the education standpoint, I do have a few colleagues, friends um, outside of my, you know, building district that have took that leap. And it's so inspiring. And um, them just motivating me and encouraging me, you know, you can do this, you know. Um, and I think really deep down, I just realized that teachers need support. Districts need support. And oftentimes they don't receive it. And what happens when they don't receive support or need or receive that um, small, uh, you know, individualized consulting, what happens? It affects the students. And I think that's what really drove me to really begin that consulting journey is that, you know, of course, you know, when you have your idea of consulting, you're like, oh, we're going to be making all this money and we're going to be, you know, meeting all these people and really, you know, helping teachers, but really it trickles down to the students. I think that's what my uh, focus is on is really making sure that at the end of the day, my goal is to increase student success, not just academic success, but uh, behaviorally, you know, educating the whole child, but that starts with equipping teachers and school districts. So most of the time, you know, those of us who work in K through 12, especially, I don't know about higher ed because I don't, I'm not there. We are generalists. Uh, we have to do a lot of things. So we don't necessarily get to specialize in something. Even if your specialty is ELA or in my, uh, case technology i have to be well versed in not only everything the district pays for but well versed and other tools that are out there to introduce to teachers so you know I, I can't just legitimately say wow i 
am 100% a specialist and expert in X, Y, in X, Y, Z, because I have to be competent in so many different things. And when you are becoming a business, you have to niche down, not only to be able to be identifiable as an expert, but everything you do needs to focus there. And then maybe you can branch out later, but you have to have that specific specialty, that lane that you occupy. How did you, given your experiences that you have had as an educator in the K through 12, discover your niche? Mm -hmm. I think I have discovered my niche before I even knew it was my niche. And let me give you a little bit of that backstory. Um, I grew up in a very small town where um, no one looked like me. No, the, the staff did not look like me. There was no one that was multiracial. The students did not look like me. So I think I discovered early on that how how can we how can we assist with this? You know how can we really make sure that we are meeting the needs of of a of all of all students, not just that cookie cutter of what what we expect in a classroom. So um, my journey through going through education, you know, I really felt like I was missing out on something. I didn't have anyone to look up to. Um, I didn't have anyone that hey, you know, I, I see them doing it, I can do it too. Or really, you know. Um, just feeling like I was uh, represented, if that makes sense. Um, so after I began teaching in a totally opposite area from what I grew up in, I realized that some of the teachers were not equipped with teaching diverse populations, um, teaching you know culturally responsive uh, practices. And then when I transitioned into grad school, um, currently writing my dissertation on, are we really making sure that students feel like they belong? I think that's something that I missed along the way in my K through 12 education, that I want to equip school districts with, you know, their diversity, equity, and inclusion practices, you know, and, it, and at the heart of that is, do students feel like they belong? And that starts with the students, with this, with the students feeling it, but also the, the teachers and their, and their instructional practices. Um, I also felt um, called to write my first children's book for multiracial students. Um, so that will be released early spring and summer. And I just am really excited to see that in libraries because I didn't feel represented in children's books. You know, when I was in a classroom, I saw books with white students and, and white characters and there were nothing wrong with those books, but I never felt like I belonged or I felt connected to any literature at all, K through 12. So I'm really excited for students to really see themselves represented. Hey, it's okay if I have, if I have a mom that looks like this and a dad that looks like this and they made me perfectly to look you know, exactly what, what I look like now. Um, really just examining what I was lacking and missing in my um, growing up in K through 12 education. And then also what I missed in my 10 years in education and what I wish I would have had support in. That's really where I found my niche. Mm. So as you have discovered uh, in embarking on this new path that you're on, uh, there are so much to, this, to consider so many moving parts, so many things uh, to do. But one of the most important things for any entrepreneur, but it, particularly as an entrepreneur, is being able to solve a problem, right? Even when you niche down and say, let's say culturally responsive teaching is my niche, that's just 
an area of focus, but that's not what problem are you solving, right? Uh, because again, you have to be able to solve a problem and come up with the methodology that you use to solve that problem. That is how you, you know, sort of build your business around that. Uh, what was your process in determining your value add in, in terms of how you solve that problem? Mm -hmm. I think examining, you know, what is an effective diversity, equity, and inclusion program? Um, the current district that I am serving in has a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, but it really allowed me to be reflective of, you know, is this successful? Do teachers even find it successful? And, and what is the impact that it's really having? Um, and focusing on research on diversity, equity, inclusion, Sometimes we don't want to look at, uh, at all aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion. There's um, a great example called the streetlight effect. I encourage everyone to look, look into that if they, haven't, if they haven't ever heard of the streetlight effect before, but it's looking into those dark areas. It's looking into those dark areas that have not been explored before, not been talked about before, not been examined before, and that sometimes can be where the solution lies to the problem. Um, oftentimes we think that Someone has a magic wand that's going to solve all of our, you know, problems and everyone's going to have an equity statement and we're going to put a bandaid on things and it'll be fine. That's definitely not going to help anything. You know, it's great that districts have an equity statement, but are we really being equitable? You know, just because mm. we have an equity statement, did that really solve our problem? So, um, you know, my goal is to really make sure that we're taking it a little step further and we're having those uncomfortable conversations and we're really doing the work of equity, not just saying we're doing the work of equity, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I want to go there right there because since you brought that up, not everyone is ready to have a conversation, right? Because whether it's based upon your own experiences, whether it's because of familial ties, community ties, political affiliations, what you may be watching on TV uh, for your information. People tend, you know, to maybe fall in certain categories. And when you are trying to have certain conversations, you know, there are people who just sort of hunker down and say, why well, does I believe? Or they go, well, hey, they, they, they feel that you're pointing the finger at them, mm -hmm. right? Uh, how do you have conversations with people who take those positions? So when you say, for example, uh, so I was watching a, a my wife and I was watching uh, the Wonder Years remake. We were watching the episode last night and the first black teacher showed up and he was, uh, you know, he was playing the drums and was talking about how these African traditions of uh, storytelling and communication. And he was comparing that to the Odyssey and its storytelling. He got in trouble because some parents showed, well, some white parents showed up and they're like, well, what does this have to do with teaching? Or, you know, my son got booted off 
the debate team. And all of a sudden, these white people were, and again, this is fictional, so you know, don't come at me like that, folks. But they were starting to feel from this episode like they were not in a certain position because this person was now in power. When you, to use sort of maybe that example, when you're having conversations with people and you're going to them and saying, you know, hey, based upon research, best practices, what I have seen, what I have done, this is appropriate. Uh, This is what should be done. This is what you could do. But you have, you may have people who say, ooh, and feel a certain way. How do you have those conversations? Mm-hmm. I definitely lean into that uncomfortableness. Um, we cannot shy away from hard conversations in 2022. We cannot. If we want to make effective change in education, we have to lean into that ouch. We have to lean into the ooh, this is tough to talk about. Mm-hmm. But we also have to embrace everyone's viewpoints. I have my feelings, I have my thoughts, just as someone else might have their feelings and their thoughts. We need to lean into, everyone might have different experiences. And that, that, is, that is where we can, we can um, begin to see that there are similarities. And of course there might be differences, but we have to embrace everyone, everyone's thoughts and feelings. And I think just being respectful, uh, setting that table of our norms and expectations when we do start those, uh, uh, you know, consulting conversations or, uh, you know, professional development uh, experiences, I want to just, it's important to really lean into those uncomfortable moments and lean into the why, why are we doing this? We're doing this for the betterment of of students, staff, and to have a better, you know, educational framework. And I think that's okay. And I think, um, you know, one thing I learned early on in my educational career is we have to be hard on issues and soft on people. We have to lean into, um, we don't necessarily have to take everything personal. And some, some people might feel that, well, you made that sound like you, you know. No, 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 no. Hard on issues and soft on people. And really keeping the, the big picture in mind and the, the why in mind. Why are we doing this? Why do, why do we have to have these conversations? I think that's, that's we, have, we have to be real with ourselves about that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Wow, I like that. I like that. I don't, you know, it, it's hard for me to have certain conversations uh, with people because I don't have the temperament, quite honestly, uh, to deal with certain people. Now, I did have a white person sort of, we, we were having a, a discussion, and, you know, I just told him, just be a good human being. When he asked, you know, you know what can I do? Just, just be a good human being. Mm-hmm. You know, be a good human being. And when you are ever in a situation where you can impact change, whether it's hiring or recommending someone for a position, step up. Mm-hmm. And right. yes, and check relatives when they say stuff you know isn't right. That's all. I'm not asking you to put on a cape and become a superhero. I'm not asking you. Right. To lead a march, I'm not asking you to lead a movement. I'm just saying that as an individual, I just need you to be a better human being, right? And do the right thing. And I think that would be a great impact if everyone did that. 
I agree. And, and we, we have some, I know everyone can think back to when they've maybe been in a difficult situation of thinking, if not me, then who? If I'm not going to call somebody out or if I'm not going to be honest and open about, um, you know, that, that, was, that, was a, that was a hurtful thing that you just said, or um, you're kind of stereotyping this race or uh, what you just said was very offensive. If not me, then who? Because when you give people passes mm-hmm. and you allow them to continue um, some of that behavior, I think it, it makes it even worse. You know, some people say, well, I don't, I don't want to call them out or I don't want to say that. Um, if not you, then who? Then, then, then who? We have to be brave. And we have to be brave in our walk to make sure that um, if, not, if not me, then who? Mm. So, all right. So, I, you know, I applaud you for the work. You know, there's certain things that I, again, I <clears throat> I can't do. And I also have a certain different philosophy. You know, I'm, I'm at, at this point, outside of, let's say, voting uh, issues that we've seen that have come up, every other law has already been passed. So there's no laws on the book now that allow for racial discrimination, right? Now, again, we have our issues with voting and what has been going on with different states, but the law is the law. We're, the reason we have these system systemic in, in issues are hearts and minds, right? We're at the hearts and minds stage that is very, that's a different conversation. That's very hard to do. That's very hard work to do. And I am, personally, I am into sort of, if someone doesn't want to seat me at the table, fine, I'll build my own. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't march. I don't want Black folks to march. I want black people to own stuff. I want black people to build stuff. I want black people to control stuff because when you are in a situation to where you are at the mercy of someone else to see your humanity, you you will to me you're going to lose most time more often than not. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we're talking about, especially school districts, maybe where you said you started at uh, growing up, where the people who are in power are not reflective of certain student populations. Right. How do you see change? <laughs> because they don't even see themselves right in the in the community. They don't see themselves in the school. And now you're trying to have conversations with people of, okay. I understand this may be your immediate reference point because of your upbringing, your experiences of how you live your life, how you see the world. However, these students have a different viewpoint mm-hmm. and, and, and really getting people to kind of be intentional, I guess, because I, I don't want to say people are are 
doing things out of malice. I would just say that they're on autopilot, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is, a, this is what they know. And now you're asking them to be more intentional and reframe how they think. Mm-hmm. So th- there are different routes that an educator can take once they become an entrepreneur. Some teachers sell courses, some write books and become speakers. Some uh, are consulting, some are selling curriculum on uh, TPT, some are selling curriculum direct to schools, some are coaching uh, individual teachers, some are coaching, uh, hosting masterminds with school administrators, some have contracts with school districts in which they are coaching administrators, teachers, etc., What's your process in determining the direction you would take as an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. I think my process has been um, really looking at my last three years as an instructional coach. Um, serving as an instructional coach in my role has looked like really differentiating my coaching to meet the needs of every single educator. So my goal is to take that a little bit on a widened, more broadened scale to really help school districts really help each teacher be successful. And you might say, well, how, you know, that, that's, that's difficult to really help every single teacher. But I think it look, it goes back to that intentionality piece that you said a moment ago of um, really looking at, do teachers feel supported? And right now I know teacher burnout is at an all time high, teacher shortage is at an all time high because they do not feel supported. And I think we have to lean into that a little bit to be a little bit more proactive instead of reactive. You know, right now in in education, we're putting a lot of Band-Aids on things, a lot of Band-Aids. And as we return from the pandemic, teachers are realizing, whew, I'm a counselor, I'm a mom, I'm the nurse, I'm the social worker, I'm supposed to be the teacher, I'm I'm a mom sometimes. Um, So my goal is really just to equip teachers to feel and be successful. I really zone in with new teachers, because being a new teacher in 2022 is hard, you know, coming out of college, you, you know, you feel like, you know, textbooks prepare you, but it's a totally different world. When you walk into your classroom that first few weeks of teaching and you think, I remember what, how I felt. I, I felt like college failed me. I, I did not feel like they, they gave me those tools to be successful. It was more on the job training. It was more hands-on learning that really occurred during my first year of teaching. So um, ultimately helping all teachers be successful, uh, differentiating my coaching to one-on-one coaching, and also really equipping new teachers is where, is the direction that I, that, that I took. Mm. So when you say this, I want to throw this out there to you. How did you come up with your methodology of how you do your work, how you set up your, your systems, how you work with teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, Definitely looked at what has worked for other people. Definitely, you know, taken advice from a lot of people that have stepped into the coaching role. Um, I've looked at some great coaching models. Um, Jim Knight has a great coaching model, impact coaching. And I think it goes back to, um, instead of me telling teachers, you know, what they're doing wrong and what they need to work on, allowing teachers to be vocal because teachers know what they need to work on. Teachers know what they need help in. Teachers know, hey, I'm lacking in classroom engagement. I'm lacking in, uh, you know, guided reading. Teachers know. 
So I think my process has been uh, to really allow teachers to be vocal in that, giving them that student, the teacher voice of, I really need help with this and allowing them to uh, be honest about that. Mm -hmm. So none of us can be all things to all people. Uh, I want you to, you know, like take a deeper dive into what services you offer and what have you done to figure out your ideal client, right? What school districts do you want to work for or work with? Uh, what type of teachers do you want to work with? Because from the, the consulting that I've done, I can tell you that there are some folks I don't want to work work with, right? And I, I had an experience where at the end of the day, I was like, okay, this didn't feel good because they didn't give me real direction, specific direction on what they wanted. It was general of this is what, just do this. And when I asked, <laughs> okay, specifically, what do you need? What do you want me to do? Oh, do this, do this, do this. And when I went in and spent the day with teachers, they wanted something totally different from what school administrators, state, you know, the uh, district level administrators told me. So it wasn't a great situation uh, to be in because I'm thinking, oh, okay, on the fly, I got to change up some stuff uh, because they didn't properly tell me, even though I would ask, you know, I kept getting this general, oh, do this, do that, do this, but their teachers wanted something totally different. So in looking at what you have done or what you would like to do, who is your ideal client? Mm -hmm. I would say my ideal client would be uh, two, two, two people, uh, school districts that have a lot of uh, teacher turnover. And also I'm hoping to partner with some universities and colleges to prepare teachers before they even leave and start their first year of teaching. I think, like I said before, we have to be proactive instead of reactive with supporting the, the teachers that are definitely starting in education in, in today's world. We have seen so many teachers leave the profession within the first five years because they don't feel supported. So I think the only way that we are ever going to solve that problem is to go, go all the way back before they're even in that first year of teaching. Let's not wait till they're in year two or year three. Let's wait. Let's, let's begin that work in before they even start that first year of teaching, or let's, let's, let's start that journey with them during those first few months of teaching. So really partnering with universities and school districts to retain teachers um, and not just a one-time consulting session. All right, bye. Hopefully your year goes great. No, uh, a year-long program or a two-year program, um, not just you know, a one-time consulting conversation or professional development, but an ongoing support system to retain those teachers in their first few years of teaching. And also, like I spoke a moment ago, that diversity, equity, and inclusion a component to really make sure that students' sense of belonging is, is there. Mm. 
All right. All right. So you mentioned earlier uh, in, in this episode that you reached out to your husband who helped you in sort of establishing, legally establish your business and you have created an LLC. And a lot of states, and I can't speak for all, you know, there are different type of options in which you can choose. You, you have your LLC and there's, you know, different uh, versions of an LLC you can create. You have your uh, S-Core and, of course, you can operate as a sole uh, proprietor and you really have to sit down because I, I mean, I'm not a, a, a lawyer, nor am I an accountant. So, but you have to sit down with either one of them uh, for those who will be listening to this episode to figure out what you're, you know, going to do. What, when you were given, when you were given the advice of creating an LLC, and again, the major difference is, and then, you know, you have to speak with someone and do the research, but the major difference between the LLC and the becoming a sole proprietor, you have taxes to deal with. And then there's also issues with liability. So if someone wants to sue you, they can't go after your personal assets. Uh, but if you have insurance, you'll that insurance will pay for anything anyway. But again, speak with an accountant. Not go, don't go to HR block. Don't go to TurboTax. Get you a real CPA who can educate you on the tax code, right? And then, if you, if even if you have to kick it with a lawyer, just one hour to sort of get that information that you need, do that as well. When informing your LLC for those who may not have done that thus far, uh, what, what did you do to actually make your business become legal in that sense? Mm -hmm. um, well, first and foremost, I encourage everyone to speak with an accountant and lawyer before you even begin. Because like you said, if you, if you are not certified in those areas, seek and ask for help and guidance, um, first and foremost. Another tip is to speak with people who have already formed their businesses, to learn from them. Everybody has mistakes that they have made along the way that they can definitely give you that quick advice. Here's what you should not, you know, here's what you should uh, make sure that you did this because I didn't do that. Um, and, and forgive me, but my husband did assist me with a majority of that work just because I'm not an expert in that area. I am in education. <laughs> you know, I can tell you all about instructional strategies and, you know, things like that. But um, that was definitely my weak point. But I noticed instead of making my mistakes, I said, hey, I need help. I was vocal and I, you know, I spoke up and said, um, this isn't my, my, my strength. This is not my, my um, you know, an area that I'm a master of. But I definitely thought um, and I learned that the sole uh, proprietorship did have a lot of pros that just that made sense for me. Um, there wasn't a lot of cost to establish that. Um, I'm able to maintain, you know, hundred percent control and ownership of my business. And then also, um, 
tax filing and, you know, completing that portion is, is easy with the help of a lawyer or accountant. So I think it's definitely important to weigh your pros and cons and figure out what, what fits for you. There isn't a one size fits all for people who want to become a consultant and that's okay. But I think you have to be an intentional person to, um, you know, look at, you know, the pros and cons of, of, of all sides of, you know, like you said, in, in being a, taking that sole proprietorship route or the incorporation route or the LLC route, just making sure that you um, have your needs met, but be vocal along the way of asking people for help and advice. So I want to ask you this and throw this out there to you. Uh, we met via social media. Uh, what are you doing on social media to not only build that no like and trust factor uh, with possible potential school districts and school leaders out there who can maybe see what you're doing and saying, you know, wow, we need to have a conversation, we need to bring her in, but to also connect with other educators to learn from them, as well as to connect with other entrepreneurs where you can actually see what they're doing and maybe reach out to them to ask for advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting enough, this is actually 2022 is my first year on social media. I know it sounds crazy. It was like, what, you haven't had social media? Um, I always thought social media was just for the social aspect. You know, it took me a while to realize that, you know, this is how you build your brand. This is how you uh, network with other, you know, educators or professionals or administrators. Um, you know, some people see social media just for that personal side. Um, I really wanted my social media to be that professional side too encourage educators, to support educators, and really to connect with other people who have done it, who are doing it, and who are really trying to make those changes in education. Mm. So before we, we go, what is the best piece of advice that you've received from another entrepreneur? And what is your best piece of advice to those educators who, like yourself, are new in this journey, what must they do right? And what pitfalls should they avoid? Mm -hmm. I think my biggest piece of advice is you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Um, and I am new to this consulting journey, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being new. I'm okay with other people being more knowledgeable than me or um, being more or at a different place in their journey than me. I think leaning into that, just starting and um, knowing that there's so much potential in front of you and in front of me, knowing that you're not in it alone. There's so many amazing people that you can look to just for advice, guidance um, that you can connect with that will definitely help you along the way. Um, another piece of advice is being intentional. I'm a very pre-planned, organized, structural person. So being intentional with what you put out, being intentional with what you're saying when you reach out to districts or being intentional with what you're saying on your social media, being intentional with how you create your brand is very important. Um, you know, making sure that you still take time for yourself because I have become a little overwhelmed in this uh, social media journey as I started, like, how do people have time for this? Like, this is so 
this is like another job. It feels like sometimes, but being intentional with your schedule, um, you know, something that helped me was mapping out my month, mapping out my, you know, days, evenings, mornings, knowing I'm going to spend, you know, 30 minutes on this and then that's it for the day. Or knowing Wednesday mornings, when I wake up, there's two solid hours I have to put into this um, consulting and then maybe an hour for social media, but being intentional. Um, and then also just thinking long-term, what do you want to be remembered about? What, what mm. legacy are you leaving? That was really what motivated me to start. What am I going to be leaving for the next generation of educators? I don't just want to be this name, you know, forgot about and I, I want to leave a lasting impact on education. So remember your why, remember your driving force of why you're wanting to be an administrator or why you're wanting to be a consultant, why you're wanting to, um, you know, make those big changes. Just, just keep that in mind. Mm, that is all, that is all right. Kelsey, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Will. Wonderful conversation. Um, I just appreciate how you're inspiring educators to get started in their, you know, consulting or entrepreneur journey. And um, I appreciate all the insight you're providing us along the way. Well, alhamdulillah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and leave a rating. And though I, though I am on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow an Apple podcast, people. So listen, okay? Don't just subscribe, okay? Go ahead and listen to the episode and then leave me a rating and share it with your PLN. Share with teachers in your network, teachers at your school district. Get on Facebook, people. Share Instagram, whatever, uh, because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show because I want to know that we're doing big things. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Kelsey Abode, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.